0: if you listen to the socialists and the communists this is all they have to say about what is coming to the Democratic Party and its current leadership
1: the tired
0: tired old Democratic Party that is beholden to big money we are winning race after race we're winning the war of ideas we're winning over the people the people were already there and it's about time my friends that we have more people holding office Who share our values and our ideas. I mean, this is how crazy, this is how crazy, this is how how much we're winning. We've got Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi on board pushing our agenda. This $3.5 trillion bill, Bernie wrote it, Biden backs it, and we're winning. (laughs) That's the good news. And that is the bad news for the rest of America the socialist, the communist, say they're winning. What comes next? On what Mongolian mountainside is Alibaba's founder being hidden? According to Bloomberg, Alibaba's fall from grace is the single biggest financial loss any business has ever endured. It has been exactly a year since the owner, Jack Ma, a Chinese businessman, publicly criticized his government. Since then, for whatever reason, he has suddenly lost hundreds of billions of dollars of a vast fortune that had once made him one of the richest men in the world. Over the last 12 months, the business that Alibaba had Pegged as China's version of eBay, Amazon, and PayPal all rolled into one, has lost around 373 billion US dollars. The company's market capitalization slid sharply from 850 billion just before Ma's speech to 477 billion on Tuesday at the time of the reports coming in from the NASDAQ. That's a drop of 373 billion billion dollars so where on earth is jack ma and more than where on earth is jack ma it is wondering at exactly where and what is going to replace him the price of alibaba's stock has been hovering around 176 dollars on tuesday as opposed to 306 dollars a year earlier on october 26 of uh, 2020 a number of things have caused the staggering loss in Mao's wealth who was once considered the richest man in China, he is currently ranked as 30th on a billionaire's index put together by Michael Bloomberg's uh, Bloomberg Inc with an estimated net worth of $46.1 billion, down from $60.3 billion this time last year when he was at his peak in terms of wealth. Last year, the tech pioneer was about to launch an initial public offering worth a staggering 37 billion U.S. dollars for his Ant Group, a spinoff of Alibaba. No word yet if that is ever going to take place or where exactly or what exactly has happened to Jack Ma. states the general attitudes, or as how Beijing is reacting to everything is very different. They listen to what Xi says and worry is what happened to Jack Ma the shape of things to come to other business people who run a bell of China. Could this happen to Zuckerberg? Could this happen to Bezos? To any other investors? if the Chinese suddenly decide they're not doing what China Inc. wants.
1: In Beijing's
2: great hall of the people, the people clap in unison for one man. Xi Jinping, Communist Party General Secretary, commander in chief, president of the People's Republic of China, says he's making China great again.
0: The Chinese nation has achieved a tremendous transformation. It has stood up, grown rich,
1: and is becoming strong. It has come to embrace the brilliant prospects of rejuvenation.
2: It's October 2017, and Xi tells party leaders one of his core beliefs, China's destiny, is to reclaim a central role in the world. The
0: banner of socialism with Chinese characteristics is now flying high and proud, and it offers Chinese wisdom and a Chinese approach to solving the problems facing mankind. Now, what is very dangerous here, of course, is the Chinese solution has also seen the absolute suppression of rights, expression, freedom, voting, the jailing of almost a million Muslims, and other restrictive policies that many across the world would find as unacceptable, particularly in the West, particularly in the United States. But how is big tech reacting? They bent over backwards, most recently. Apple. Then, over to help China quell dissent. Now, we know Jack Ma has, of course, been in the news since his company lost over $340 billion, a huge amount of money. But what does that mean to people around the world who've invested with Alibaba. Jack Ma has resurfaced. Earlier it was reported that he was cited in Spain and also in Hong Kong, a chance that gave his shareholders, who had lost as much as $240 per share, a chance to recuperate a little bit. But $344 billion in value is a tremendous amount of money to lose. WION in India tells
3: us more. The Chinese e commerce giant, Alibaba's founder, Jack Ma, who is also well known in China as one of the country's most successful entrepreneurs, delivered blunt criticism of the country's financial system. This was last October. After Jack Ma delivered that infamous speech, China suspended the listing of its fintech arm, AT Group. The company has lost three hundred and forty four billion dollars in market capital as a result of a series of steps taken by the Chinese government following that speech. This suspension was followed up with a widespread crackdown on the other vibrant sectors of the Chinese economy, resulting in the crash of Chinese stocks. Later on in April this year, Alibaba was hit with a fine of record two point seven five billion dollars. Equivalent to 4% of Alibaba's revenue, as the Chinese regulators accused the internet giant of abusing its dominant market position for several years. As Beijing stepped up its scrutiny of the company's practices and urged a restructuring of its fintech business, Alibaba shares also sank from an all-time high that month to a record low three weeks ago in Hong Kong. Despite a 30% recovery from the 5th of October, the stock is still 43% lower than its October 2020 peak. Alibaba is set to report earnings in the first week on uh, first week of next month and the route and the impact overall will be much clearer.
0: So, you know, the way the Indians broadcast about it, of course, they're very interested because Alibaba is a major form of trade. Uh, online for many companies in India, in Asia, and across the world. Jack Ma is a major figure as far as all that is concerned, but how it's reported in Asia is somewhat different compared to the subcontinent. Well, you know, India is a part of the subcontinent of Asia, but it is considered obviously a, a, a different section of it, and they have a different look on how Alibaba's crisis is playing out. Now, of course, uh, When Jack Ma reappears, it is a a
2: major topic of concern, particularly in Taiwan. So I just really wanted to make a very quick video about capitalizing on this entire news cycle, about Jack Ma reappearing, and his reappearance is going to bring some benefits or some good news to the entire Alibaba share price. And to be honest, at this rate um, right now, I don't even know what the heck are we supposed to expect um, any kinds of good news for Alibaba. And one of the most positive catalysts that I can take off would be the upcoming NIPO, if they were to allow them to IPO again. But of course, not at a $300 billion valuation. I think a $50 to $100 billion valuation would suffice. But that said, let's look into it. This entire idea of a reappearance of Jack Ma really brings no fundamental change to the company itself. It doesn't mean that Jack Ma came up with a new business idea, a new project, or something to benefit Alibaba Group as a company. This entire idea of Jack Ma staying low profile, um, not trying to get onto the radar of the regulators and the government, isn't really working too much. Because ultimately, if you have been following the crackdown, um, all these big tech companies have been gotten a good beating from all these different regulators in terms of restrictions and in terms of imposing of new regulations. So if you have to follow the news cycle, I find it extremely hilarious. Big news media outlets, by the way, CNBC, Forbes, CNA, Reuters, Yahoo Finance, all these news media outlets have jumped onto the bandwagon to report this so-called reappearance of Jack Ma in Hong Kong. So let's take a look at the Reuters article. Billionaire Alibaba founder Jack Ma reappears in Hong Kong. So the Chinese billionaire has been keeping a low profile since delivering a speech in October last year in Shanghai, criticising China's financial regulator. That triggered a chain of events that resulted in the shelving of his end Group's mega IPO. So the former English teacher disappeared from public's view for three months before surfacing in January is concerned about his unusual absence from the limelight and set Alibaba shares surging. So, if you really take a look at this entire article, and most of the articles talking about this reappearance, there's no forms of value add. Nothing changes the fundamentals of the business. There's no change into my entire thesis. Just the presence of Jack Ma warrants a news article, which I find extremely hilarious and I'm extremely dumbfounded by this entire situation. So, you see, from the Chinese perspective, it's completely different.
0: They're looking at the bottom line. Is Alibaba still a worthwhile investment? Is it still a company that they can look at? And obviously, uh, for Mr. Kai-Tek Chin, who is the uh, analyst speaking there, I'm sorry, I said Hong Kong, I meant Singapore, uh, his view is somewhat taken with a different perspective because it is spoken from a business perspective. The idea of government regulation or uh, political issues involving uh, business is just part of reality in that part of the world. And uh, to them, If you criticize the keepers of the currency and the keepers of government, expect some backlash. And therefore, they feel that Jack Ma may have gotten what he deserves, perhaps in their perspective. I don't know. It would be hard to say. Obviously, business will be business. But criticism aside, this is their view. What is the rest of the world's view? That is what we're seeing now.
4: Hi everyone, welcome to Difference Frames the World, a channel to find a real China. In the past several days, we have talked too much about the Xinjiang issue, and we would like to have a rest. Tomorrow, we will convert Hua Chunying's March 26 address to English, as many viewers want to know more about China's views on the so-called Xinjiang genocide. Today, we would like to publish the English version of Jack Ma's speech at the Shanghai Financial Summit in October 2020, Which silenced him for nearly half a year. We have to say it is a great speech, but Jack Ma is not the right person to deliver it. It is worth reading two or three times. And we believe China's policymakers are making some changes, some of which are in compliance with Jack Ma's viewpoints in the speech. The speech was delivered one day after Ant Group submitted its application for listings in Hong Kong and Shanghai, and it allegedly led to the suspension of the IPO, and Jack Ma has kept silent for nearly half a year. He is not in danger, we believe, but he may have to be away from the public's view for some time.
1: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for inviting me to the conference. In 2013, I came to the Shanghai Lujiazui Financial Summit and gave a speech about internet finance, which I called whimsical at that time. Seven years later, as an unofficial amateur, I came to the Bond Financial Forum in Shanghai again, hoping to share some ideas with you. In fact, I am, frankly speaking, hesitant to deliver such a speech today. But I think there is something fundamental in our group, or our generation, and it is called responsibility, we have the responsibility to think about the future. Although the world awards us with many development opportunities, most of them are not key opportunities, with one or two exceptions only. Now it is the most critical moment, so I want to discuss some of my ideas and some views. It is a summary of our 16 years of practical experience. I am honored to be the co-chair of SDG and the United Nations High-Level Panel on Digital Cooperation. I have discussed and researched with many scholars, experts and practitioners around the world. As I have been retired now, and this is not an official forum, I would like to speak freely and share some layman's professional views. Luckily, I found that the vast majority of professionals today are no longer talking about professionalism. There are three points of view for your reference only, and they may not be mature, not correct, or even a little ridiculous. Just listen to them. If you feel they are nonsense, ignore them. The first point of view is that we have always had some cognitive inertia. For instance, we always feel that we need to be in line with the international community. We always think we must follow the developed countries in Europe and the United States to catch up with them in some areas that we call blanks. And we always take it as a mission to fill those gaps, even regarded as the pursuit of the internationalization goal. I always think that, in today's situation, the phrase fill the gap is problematic. We cannot do it just because the European and American ones are advanced for the sake of filling the gap only. We should not deliberately or mindlessly go after one specific thing, to align with some countries today, and it is also not proper to strictly follow one or two certain country standards, to fill one or two blanks. Today we have to think about aligning with the future, complying with the future standards, and filling the gaps in the future. We have to figure out what the future will be and what we are actually going to do, and then watch how others do it. If we constantly repeat others' language and discuss others' standards, we will lose the present and miss the future. After World War II, the world needed to restore economic prosperity, and after the establishment of the Bretton Woods system, the stimulus for the global economy was enormous. After the Asian financial turmoil, The Basel Accords on risk control became more critical and later became an operational standard for risk control. Now the risk control is more and more stringent throughout the world. People only talk about risk control, not development. Very few people think about young people's opportunities and where developing countries' prospects are. It is the root cause of many of the problems that have given birth to the world chaos today. The Basel Accords, as we see them today, also put a significant limit on overall innovation in Europe, for example, in its digital finance. The Basel Accords are more like an older people's club, in which it is trying to address the aging problems of a financial system that has been operating for decades. Some of the aging systems in Europe have incredibly complex systems, but the situation in China, I think, is the opposite. It's not that China doesn't have systemic financial risks. China's finance has no system, and as a result, it lacks systemic financial risk. China's finance is like other developing countries which are just growing up. In the financial sector, we are teenagers and don't have a mature ecosystem that is fully fluid yet. China has a lot of big banks, more like big rivers and blood arteries. Still, we also need more lakes, reservoirs, small streams and brooks, and even various kinds of swamps today, and the lack of these ecosystems makes us overflooded when flooding and even drier in drought. So today, our country has the risk of lacking a healthy financial system. We need to build a healthy way of finance, not to worry about systemic financial risk. These are two completely different diseases, just like Alzheimer's and polio. They both look the same. But they are two diseases. If a child takes Alzheimer's medicine, they will get the condition of old age, but there will be many inexplicable symptoms of other illnesses. The Basel Accords are like a club of older people. It only considers the aging diseases of the elderly. We have to think about how to learn from the elderly, and know that the elderly and young people are worried about different issues. When we build a city for young people, schools availability is a big concern. But older people are more worried about how close the nearby hospitals are. It's incredible how the world is changing today, very quickly. I am also proud to announce to you that we decided to take Ant Group public last night, right here in Shanghai. It's the first time that an IPO of this magnitude, the largest IPO in the history of humankind, has been priced outside of New York City. Five years ago or three years ago, we couldn't even think about it, but the miracle is happening. The second point, everything has a price and innovation is no exception, and our generation must take responsibility. President Xi Jinping said, success does not have to be in me. I understand that he means responsibility. He is talking about the future, about tomorrow, talking about taking responsibility. It should be us to think about the next generation. Many problems in the world, including China's problems, can only be solved by innovation, but there are no pioneers for real innovation. We must be pioneers to take responsibility because pioneers will make mistakes. The problem here is not how to avoid errors, instead, we can adhere to the innovation, rectify, and make improvements after making mistakes. For people who are initiating innovations, risk-free precautions kill innovation. In this world, people tolerate no risk of innovation, and many times the risk is reduced to zero, which is the most considerable risk. In QiBi, the most famous battle in ancient China's history, when Chao Chao connected all his ships into a big platform he invented the earliest aircraft carrier idea in China and the world. But after he was defeated, and the fire burned all his ships, the Chinese didn't even dare to think about constructing a similar platform in the coming 1800 years. Just think about that fire, who else in China had such systematic thinking again, till 1980s? Seven or eight years ago, I mentioned the concept of internet finance, also in Shanghai. And we have always stressed that internet finance must have three core elements. First, it must have big data. Second, it must be based on big data, which are embedded with the risk control technology. Third, it must have a credit system based on big data. If we employ these three criteria to measure, I can say that P2P is not internet finance at all. However, today we cannot negate or nullify the whole internet technology to financial innovation, only because of P2P. Let's think about how China can have thousands of internet finance companies within a few years. We should check the reasons for the birth of thousands of internet finance firms, the so called P2P companies. Today our regulation is intricate. The regulation in the guise of punishment is even more difficult. Innovation stems mainly from the market, from the grassroots, from the growing challenge of young people on the regulations. Supervision and control are two different things. Supervisors watch for your development, care about your growth, while controllers only deal with problems when they already happened or are going to happen. Regretfully, we now have a growing ability to control, but the ability to supervise is insufficient. Promising innovators are not afraid of supervision, but they are scared of being controlled with yesterday's supervision. We cannot use the management of a railway station to manage an airport, and we cannot have yesterday's way of thinking to control the future. Supervision and management are not the same, and policies and documents are not the same. The decrees prohibiting this or that practice are called documents. Policy, however, is a mechanism to build, to stimulate the development. Today the whole world, especially China, needs a lot of policy experts, not document experts. Policymaking is a technical task. To solve the systemic and complex problems, I can share how our Taobao is doing. Seventeen years ago, we did not have the technology, nor did we have data or accurate judgment of the future. We had therefore developed a lot of rules that did work. Today we already have the technology and ability to solve systemic problems, but the regulations to supervise our young people today are still like those regulating old employees before. It seems there are always a variety of new documents coming out to restrict various behaviors. Later, I thought of a way out, which we called add one minus three. If you want to add a new rule, you must cut three preceding regulations. Since then, our documents have been getting shorter and shorter and thinner. If we do not follow this practice, our rules and regulations will get thicker and thicker. We are forcing everyone to break the law and make mistakes, as we will be confused with so many rules and restrictions. Theories and systems are also different. Experts and scholars are not the same, either. People in this country are often confused with the difference between scholars and experts. An expert is a practitioner, and he does a great job, but he will not necessarily excel at summarizing. Many scholars do not do specific work themselves, but they can digest the theory from other practitioners' practical experience. Only when experts and scholars are working together, Ideas and practices can be combined to innovate and solve today's and tomorrow's problems. We need theories from practice, not from offices, and many theories like P2P are from offices. It's more important that we understand the lessons correctly that P2P has taught us. We will not deny Internet technology, and we will no longer repeat the practice of office theory. I think there is also a phenomenon that many regulators worldwide tend to control new things, so they have no risk, and their sector has no trouble, but the whole economy is at stake, the entire society is at risk. In the future, the race between countries is the race of innovation, not the race of regulatory skills, and now in the world, more and more countries are tougher on innovations by nullifying new attempts. My understanding for President Xi Jinping's directive to improve the ability to govern is to maintain a healthy and sustainable development under orderly regulation rather than the regulation at the price of growth. Regulation is not tricky. The tricky part of the rule is to develop healthy development. The purpose of code should be sustainable and healthy development. The third point is that the essence of finance is credit management. We must change today's pawnshop thinking, and we cannot rely on the development of the system on collateral, not on modern credit systems. Today's banks are still like pawnshops, which do businesses on collateral and guarantee or cosign. The pawnshop thinking was very advanced in the old days. Without the mortgage and guarantee to stipulate previous innovations, it would not be possible to have today's financial institutions. The development of the Chinese economy over the past 40 years could not have developed to the present, either. Without that pawnshop thinking, we have to admit it. But the mechanism of relying on assets and collateral will go to extremes. I am the chairman of the China Entrepreneurs Club, also the chairman of the General Chamber of Commerce in Zhejiang. I know many businesses which think China's financial pawnshop thinking is severe, affecting many entrepreneurs. They have to mortgage all their assets. The pressure is very high. When the pressure is high, their actions are deformed. Some people have four or five levels of loans. Their debts get bigger and bigger. We all know that when borrowing 100,000 RMB, you are scared of the bank. When borrowing 10 million RMB, you are in love with the bank. When borrowing 1 billion RMB, the bank is afraid of you. There is also a tendency that banks prefer to lend money to good enterprises which do not need money desperately. As a result, many promising enterprises become destructive enterprises. They diversify investments to do things that are entirely incompatible with their business positioning. Having too much money can also cause a lot of problems. Such a pawnshop paradigm is impossible to support the next 30 years of world development. We must use today's technological capabilities to replace the pawnshop mentality with a credit system based on big data. This credit system is neither built on the traditional IT basis nor on the social basis of acquaintanceship, but based on big data to truly make credit equal wealth. A beggar also needs to be creditworthy to ask for food. In my opinion, every beggar should have a credit rating. Finally, I think the world today is desperately looking forward to a new financial system that is tailored to the future. Today's financial system is a product of the industrial age, a comprehensive industrial financial system set up to address industrialization to fulfill the 2080 theory. What is the 2080 theory? It is a methodology of investing on 20% of the problems to solve 80% others. Still, the future financial system needs to address the 80-20 theory to help 80% of small businesses and young people drive 20% of other people. The financial institutions should look for opportunities to alleviate fundraising's difficulty, that is, let money look for promising enterprises and credible people. The only criterion is that this system is service-oriented, universal, inclusive, green, and sustainable. The cutting-edge technologies behind are big data, cloud computing, and blockchain. We can take on a huge responsibility today. After World War II, people had such a vision to design a great financial system for future generations and the future. We also have this responsibility and thinking today to build an economic system that truly belongs to the future, the next generation, and this significant era. Today, the problem is whether people choose to do it or not, although our technological development is fully capable of doing some of this. Unfortunately, many people are not willing to risk it. Today's global financial system must be reformed. Otherwise, it will be a matter of lost opportunities and a world with more chaos. It is normal for innovators to get ahead of regulation. But when innovators are far ahead of supervision, when the richness and depth of innovation are more than regulators can imagine, it is not normal, and society and the world will fall into chaos. Take digital currency as an example. If we use a future perspective to create the financial system for the coming 30 years, the digital currency may be fundamental. Indeed, today's finance does not need digital currency, but it will be needed tomorrow, it will be needed in the future, and it will be needed by thousands of developing countries and young people. We should ask ourselves what practical problems the digital currencies will solve in the future. The digital currency 10 years later, and that of today may not be the same thing at all. This digital currency should not be studied from a historical perspective, not from a regulatory perspective, not from a research institution, but the market, from the demand, from the future trend. It is a matter of great importance. Our research institutions should not be policymakers, and policymakers cannot rely only on their research institutions because the digital currency system is a technical problem, and it is more complicated than a technical issue, as it is also a solution to future problems. Digital currency may redefine money, although the primary function of money still exists. It will redefine money, just like Apple's iPhone redefined the phone industry, where making calls is just one of the functions. Today, it is not time to rush to set the standard. Instead, it is time to create value. We only need to think about how to establish a new financial system through digital currency for the world. We also need to think about the future. And in addition, think about how to trade globally and so on. We should use reliable technology to establish the digital currency, making it a real solution to the problem of sustainable, green and inclusive world trade. In conclusion, I would like to say that now, human society has reached the most critical moment, and we cannot underestimate this COVID pandemic, as it is the force that pushes human society to progress. It is no less than World War II, from the financial perspective. The United States continues to flood the world, especially the Wall Street stock market, with tons of money, and other countries will follow. Did we ever think about the outcome? It implies that the pandemic goes far beyond the technical aspects that many of us are discussing today. We should not just oppose many of the world's organizations, instead, we should rethink their value. Be it United Nations, the WTO, or the WHO, these organizations have many problems, and I have worked, dealt, and cooperated with all of them. They do have many issues but getting away from these organizations does not solve the problems. We should consider how these organizations should face the future, reform, and reposition them. The new financial system in the future direction, whether we like it or not, will come. Whether we do it or not, someone will make it come true in the future. At the early stages of reform, pioneers have to pay the price, It might be our generation to do such a reform, but it is the next generation to benefit from it. We may be heroes obscure in the darkness. It is the opportunity that history bestows on us, and it is also our responsibility for the future cause. Over the past 16 years, Ant Group has been centered on green, sustainable, and inclusive development. If green, sustainable, and inclusive finance is wrong, we will be wrong again and again to the end. Thank you all.
4: Thank you very much for watching this video. If you like our videos, please subscribe to our channel and share this video with people you know. We publish videos on a daily basis and will also publish long videos on topics viewers are interested in once or twice a week. If you have anything want to share with us, please leave your comments below.
0: But the recent sighting of Jack Ma in Mallorca may put the ease to some fears. However, the security detail around him and the controlled conditions of it indicate that Ma still has a long way to go before Z will forgive him. It is unclear ever since Ma had come to the United States in January 9th 2017 and met with the president as to what exactly what was going to happen with Ma and his group. But everything is moving forward since then. We will see exactly where and what will be the next result. As China's richest man is no longer that, he's no longer the richest, but he still faces a lot of problems ahead of him and his Alibaba group i'm mike of new york and we're watching who knows jack may turned up on our doorstep or somewhere nearby because he does have extensive holdings and investments in
1: new york city